All right, here we go. Buckle up. We are here this morning in protest against the discrimination of the church in the state of California. In light of the fact that millions have gathered together without limitation of number, distance, or location under the guise of the protection of the First Amendment, which also protects the assembly of the churches today, we are here this morning to say the church is going to stand up for its right to assemble together as a body of believers under the mandate of God. Now, because the governor has deemed protest as permissible, we are here in protest this morning. And I thought as long as we're here, let's go ahead and have a Bible study. So would you open your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28, we'll look in detail at the two verses we just read together a moment ago. Now, we're going to obviously study our word for the year, and I'll remind you that when we received our word for the year and announced it uh, on it. Now, I understood that because of what's going on with the building situation and all that, and by the way, we're going to be here through the month of July, uh, not just at the end of June, and uh, we've got this and the chapel uh, made available to us. But I knew we were going to need to trust as we awaited God to lead us and guide us into whatever our new church location is going to be. I knew when we received our word that there were going to be times where something was going to be said that was specific to an individual in the room that would help them get through whatever it is that they were enduring or encountering at that moment in life. I knew that there were going to be times where there would be a circumstance that would cause us to better understand the necessity of trust and how it would enable us to deal with the things that we go through in life, as is true of any time we look in detail at a specific passage of Scripture. Now, what I did not know is that we were going to need to trust the Lord during a pandemic. What I did not know is that we were going to need to learn how to trust the Lord through a national crisis. What I did not know is that we were going to encounter efforts by those on the progressive left to destroy our economy in efforts to throw this coming election. But we need to trust God through all these things. And we can. Now I'll remind you of our banner verse over the year, which is Psalm 37.3 and a few that go behind it, where we were told to trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Are there wicked schemes going on today? Well, what are we told to do? Cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret. In other words, don't live in a state of anxiousness. It only causes what? Harm. And then we're reminded, evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Listen, we need to recognize that there is a time in history, we've already had one, when things became so evil on the earth, it was only the judgment of God that was going to stop the moral decline of man. Things got so bad on the earth at one point in time, there were only eight righteous on a whole planet filled with people. And Jesus said, that's how it's going to be when it's time for me to return. Now, listen this morning, since we're here to deal with some nuts and bolts of life, We've been hearing a lot about the systemic problem of racism in our country. And make no mistake that racism is present in our country. There are racists within our nation. 
And make no mistake that what happened to George Floyd was nothing short of cold-blooded murder, and the perpetrators have been rightfully arrested and charged and fired from their jobs. But to say racism is systemic in our country is simply not true. The word systemic means pertaining to or affecting the body as a whole. Let me read that again. The definition of systemic is pertaining to or affecting the body as a whole. And if you were to say racism is systemic in the KKK, you'd be right. Because it quantifies the body as being members of the KKK who all share racism as their basic mentality as it pertains to blacks and Jews and others. Now, if you were to say racism is systemic in Hamas or Fatah, you would be right. The shared attribute between these two groups is hatred of the Jews. They are racist in nature. It is systemic among them. However, everyone in the United States is not a racist. I'm not a racist. You're not a racist, I hope. And the fact is, racism is sin. We ought to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. This is a mandate of God through Jesus Christ. He even gave an example about a Samaritan that he called good. Remember, there was animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. And there was one who was overcosted by robber, overtaken by robbers on the highway. And two Jews, priests, passed the man by and didn't help him. But a Samaritan who was at, in an animosity relationship with the Jews actually helped the man. And Jesus asked the question, who was his neighbor? And they had to answer. It was a Samaritan who did something about another person's plight. Racism is evil. Racism has no place in the Christian life. Racism has no place in the Christian heart. Racism has no place in Christian thinking. And we need to remember that we have become a society today where tens of thousands of parents have sent their children off to school to be taught to hate America and all that it stands for by Marxist and socialist professors. And that's a part of why we have arrived at the place we are today. To many young men and women who've been taught that socialism is a solution, that someone having more than something, someone else is wrong, everyone has to have equal pay no matter their job or level of education. No one should have to work if they don't want to. The government should pay for the college you went to that taught you how to hate America and all these other things. To them, the problem is the system, not individuals who are racist. In their minds, that means that all aspects of the system, including law enforcement, including business owners who are not racist, are fair game for vandalism and violence because they're part of the problem, because they're part of the system. And they've been taught that the system is broken. Leaders in some of these groups today are telling followers, go into the suburbs and take back what is rightfully yours. I got news for you this morning. If you didn't earn it, it ain't yours, and you have no right to it. It's called stealing, and that's a commandment of God that we're told not to do. Political and law enforcement leaders are kneeling in supposed solidarity with some of these groups, with some of them who are trying to destroy our country because something that is not systemic, though very real and present in our society, has been sold to them as the root cause of the problem. In other words, everything must go. We need a new start. We need a new system. Mayors are talking about dismantling police departments or reducing the budget substantially and using the funds instead to promote healing in their communities. Well, listen, the government can't heal anybody. God can heal everybody. And he is the answer. Now, listen this morning. The United States is not perfect because it's filled with imperfect people. And the fact is, there are mistakes throughout our very brief history, including in recent history, driving black men from their homes so that their wives could receive government aid. And going into homes and finding and looking for men's clothes and then denying a woman the ability to feed her children because there was a man present in their home. Is that right? No, no that's not right. And yes, there has been deep-rooted racism in our country, but it is not 
systemic in our country and our very founding documents declare it to be so in that in our declaration of independence we are told that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights in which are or among which are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and listen within this system of government that has declared equal rights and values of all people there are some bad seeds among us not us but you know what I mean by us there are people with deep seated prejudices there are people in this country that are filled with hatred in their hearts because of another person's skin color, another person's nation of origin, or another person's religious belief. And listen this morning, listen loud and clear. The cure is not a new system. The cure is a new heart created by God. And Psalm 51.10, David says, or the psalmist says, Create in me a clean heart, O government. Clean heart who? Oh God, the government can't change your heart. Only God can change the human heart. And with that comes a, a renewed, steadfast spirit within us. This is what America needs. America needs a heart cleansing. America needs a renewed spirit without hope, without which there is no hope for change in the future. And we also need to recognize that the world is exactly how the Bible said it would be in the last days filled with violence, people hating God, rising ethnic tensions amidst the famines, pestilence, wars, and rumors of wars Jesus mentioned in Matthew 24, 3-8. And listen, if you don't think there's a devil, look at what's happening right now. The only place in which the hope of changed hearts can be found is being shuttered by government officials. The world doesn't have a message of hope. The message of hope is found in the church. The world is saying, go ahead and meet. Go ahead and vandalize. Go ahead and be violent. And if we can change things, then we'll see a new country. That's not true. That's a lie. The only way to see a difference in our country is to preach Christ and Him crucified. And He is the one that can turn things around. They're not being told they can't meet. They're not being told they can't protest. The church is being told you can meet, but only in limited numbers, only meeting certain qualifications, only doing certain procedures. Where the rest of them, they can meet. They can have massive amounts of numbers. They don't have to socially distance. They don't have to clean the facility after they meet. They don't even have to choose a facility that's been cleaned before they meet. Listen, there is a war going on, and it is against principalities and, and uh, rulers and forces of darkness in heavenly places, and we need to engage in the battle because God is on our side. And yet, in the perilous times in which we now live, we have been given, uh, I should have given you advance notice that I'm liable to get fired up today. <laughs> We've been given this timeless instruction which says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And the end result is what? He will direct your path. So how do we do this? In the midst of all we are seeing and all that's going on today. Well, our answer comes through our title that will lead us to a couple of points we'll make this morning. And our title is simply The Trust Factor. The trust factor is what we'll examine this morning through the two verses we read a moment ago and we'll read again in a moment. And I'll remind us all that the Hebrew word for trust used in our chapter and other Old Testament verses we have used means uh, it is batak and it means to be confident, to be secure, bold, and carefree. It also means to be hopeful. And Webster defines in the Collegiate Dictionary trust as reliance on the integrity, strength, and abilities of another. Confident expectation is also how it's defined. It also defines trust as a person on whom one relies. And then it cites it as an example. God is my trust. And listen, when we trust the Lord, there are things that are going to happen. And can we live confident, secure, bold, carefree, and hopeful in times such as these? Yes, absolutely. 
Can things change in the hearts of the people of our country for the better? Absolutely. Can God turn a racist into one who loves his neighbor? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, he's the only one that can do so, but the trust factor must be employed before that can come to pass. So let's see what it is and what it does for us from our two verses for the day. So let's stand and read them once again this morning from Proverbs chapter 28. Did I tell you to open your Bibles there? Okay, Proverbs 28. We'll look at verses 25 and 6. Proverbs 28, 25. He who has of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. And we, Lord, Lord, we know that our hope comes from you, and you are our deliverer. You are our strong tower. And in you, we find a refuge and strength. And Lord, we pray that you would grant that to us today, even as we make our way through the troubled waters of this uh, particular period of uh, not just American history, but human history. And Lord, I pray that you would turn hearts to you in these last days and that things as ugly as racism would be driven out of the hearts and minds of people. We know you can do it. We ask that you do. Teach us how to trust in the meantime, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, a little insight about the book of Proverbs. It's a book of moral and ethical instructions. Its intention is to deal with the daily situations of life, guide the reader on to how or as to how to live a wise and godly life and therefore avoid the pitfalls of unwise and ungodly living. Now, Psalm 19 captures the idea of the Proverbs by reminding us in 7 and 8, King David writing, the law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now listen, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord are all idioms for the word of God. And the word of God is perfect because it is God's word, obviously. Now, what King David writes in Psalm 19 and what the Proverbs employ is kind of a spiritual variation of Newton's third law of motion. You may not know that you know it, but you do know it because if I say it, you can finish it. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. That's Newton's third law of motion. And spiritually, what the Proverbs is teaching and Psalm 19 is recording is that for every spiritual action, there is a reaction that is consistent with the if-then principles recorded in Scripture known as the universal law of sowing and reaping. If you do this, then you can expect that to happen. And it's presented in the positive and the negative. That means when we trust the Lord and lean not on our own, own understanding, then we will see those results in our own life and in our walks with Christ. Now, in reading through the Proverbs, there's also a rotating literary device that's employed, which is oftentimes they will present the negative followed by the positive, and then they'll reverse the order and present the positive followed by the negative. And the point being, as we've mentioned in the Psalms and our studies there, is to use contrast to highlight the value of living for God versus living for self. And thus, we are going to see the importance of the trust factor this morning. Beginning with verse 25, we're told the person with a proud heart stirs up strife, but the person who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. Now, again, we need to re recognize the Bible uses figures of speech and words with literal meanings to make a figurative point. We do that all the time. We might say someone is skinny as a stick. That doesn't mean they're actually the same size as a stick. It's a figure of the speech, a uh, figure of, that was Italian, it's a figure of the speech. It's a figure of speech to describe someone who is very thin. Now, I thought that was interesting, a uh, word picture to paint for us in light of what the word prosper means. You know what the word prosper means in the Hebrew? You ready for this? It means to be fat. To be fat. The person who trusts in the Lord will be fat. It means in the sense of being full or satisfied. Now, figuratively, the meaning is to be anointed. 
Now in Joshua 1.8, we're also told, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe, what are the next two words? To do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way what? Prosperous. And then you will have good success. Now there's a different Hebrew word translated as prosperous, but it captures the meaning more fully of what's in the Proverbs for us. But notice, first of all, it follows the same formula as the Proverbs and Psalm 19. Observe to do all that is written, then you will have prosperity, then you will have good success. Now, the word prosperous used in Joshua 1.8 means to break forth mightily. Doesn't that sound like something we should desire? To break forth mightily? I believe it's time for the church to break forth mightily. I believe it's time for us to stand up and honor the word of God and recognize the authority of God's word. Listen, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and that's still true today. And therefore, any efforts to silence us, any efforts to shut us down are to be opposed by the people of God as we can take a stand for his name and his word in these last days. Joshua was told that meditating on the word and doing what it says is going to cause him to break forth mightily and have good success. And the Proverbs say that those who trust in the Lord will be anointed and satisfied or full. In contrast, the person of a proud heart will live a strife-filled life. It will be stirred up all around them. And the word translated, the word translated strife, I should say, can also mean brawling, contention, discord. Are we seeing brawling and contention and discord today? And that's because hearts are filled with pride. And Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Where's it all start? Pride. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Is innocent blood being shed today? Yes, we've seen it happen in this man that was murdered, and we've seen the response to the same thing happening. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. It all starts with a proud look. And the word look in Proverbs 6 means countenance or arrogance. And God says, I hate arrogance. And the reason he hates arrogance and why it's an abomination to him is because pride-based arrogance leads to lying tongues. Then it leads to shedding innocent blood, devising wicked plans that feet are swift to run to carry out and then lie about it, which is happening today. And the Lord hates discord among his brethren. So where does the trust factor come in in all this? What is it that can turn things around for individuals in our country and our country as a whole? What can we glean in times such as these that will help us make our way through the mayhem and madness of this pride-filled world? Well, here is the definition of the trust factor, and here's where we must begin. Listen this morning. The trust factor is believing God is right about everything. The trust factor is believing God is right about everything. Do we live in a pride-filled world? Well, the symptoms are all around us, so we must be. And the epitome of a proud heart is saying, I don't agree with God's word. The epitome of a proud heart is saying, I don't believe God's word is relevant for today. That kind of thinking, the actions and lifestyles associated with them will not allow anyone to break forth mightily and walk in the power of the Lord's anointing and fullness. Now think about that. For someone to have the nerve to say, I think the Bible is wrong, is the same as saying, I think God is wrong. And that's a dangerous position to take. Somebody say something this morning. That kind of thinking will lead to a life filled with strife, brawling, contention, and discord. And in Psalm 32, 10 and 11, David says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, listen, we have a lot of people today who are taking kind of a cut and paste approach to the Bible. Well, I like this, so I'll accept that. I don't like that, so I'll reject that. Now listen, that's exactly what Satan did. He said, I'll exalt myself above the throne of God. 
I'm the one who will determine what's right and wrong. I'm the one who will indeed give uh, truth, so to speak, out to the people like he did with Eve. Hath God said you will surely die? You're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of the fruit, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. And he twisted the scripture like many are doing today. Now listen, here's the problem with taking a cut and paste approach to the Bible. The first is this. If you don't think God is right about everything, then you don't understand the concept of God. Secondly, if you don't think God is right about everything, then you have taken his place and set yourself above his throne. Imagine telling God to his face, you're wrong. You're wrong about marriage. You're wrong about sexuality. You're wrong about this. You're wrong about that. Listen, if he's wrong, he's not God. If he's God, he has to be right about everything. And Job 9, 4 to 13 says, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Somebody say amen to that. Listen to what, what Job says. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? He removes the mountains and they don't know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars or foundations tremble. He commands the sun and it doesn't rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and Pleiades, or the constellations, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, Job says, I don't see him. If he moves past, I don't perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. Remember after all Job had experienced what he said in Job 13, 15? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Pride says, I believe all the parts of the Bible I agree with. Trust says God is right about everything. Would not all the strife-related problems of the world go away if everyone believed that God was right about everything? Wouldn't wars cease? Wouldn't racism come to an end? Wouldn't greed be placed with generosity? Everyone would be fat. P-H-A-T, that's slang for awesome or excellent. Now listen this morning, there's more to that I'll add in a moment. Just remember that when I say fat, P-H-A-T. Got it? If Derek Chauvin would have looked at George Floyd from a clean heart and a right spirit, we wouldn't be experiencing what we're experiencing today. If there weren't politicians who didn't believe the end justifies the means, no matter what the truth or the facts say, who would do anything, including destroy our economy to gain political power, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in today. And the trust factor changes everything for everyone who employs it. And you can't say you trust God and then reject parts of his word. If he's God, then he's right about everything. If he's ever wrong, then he's not God. Somebody say, amen. Now, verse 26, we're told, he who trusts in his own heart, which is in contrast with the opening phrase of 25, is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Now, obviously, trusting in your own heart is the opposite in trusting in God. Thus, it'll have the opposite results of trusting in God. Now, I have to say, remember, remember what I mean when I say fat? P-H-A-T, excellent, awesome. I didn't know that the Hebrew language was so hip. Now, we found that those who trust in the Lord will be fat. And here we see that those who walk wisely will be delivered. The Hebrew word for delivered literally means to be smooth. So in other words, those who trust in the Lord will be fat and smooth. <laughs> I like that, don't you? Now, the word also implies to escape by slipperiness. Also, we find the word heart here, and it's not referring to the physical organ that pumps blood through our body and keeps us alive. The word actually means the center of feelings, will, and intellect. So looking back to our first point that defines a trust factor of believing God is right about everything, combined with the fact that we're reading God's word, and if it's God's word, it has to be right in all that it says, then we must conclude that according to God, who is the maker of us all, trusting in your feelings, will, and intellect over the word of God as a guide to your life is foolish. And Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And we've seen in recent months how fear has been used to push forward the progressive agenda which will reach its fulfillment under the Antichrist and his reign of terror, which, by the way, we won't see any of that. I have no interest in who the Antichrist is. I don't plan on finding out. I have no plans on meeting him. But I do plan on meeting Jesus Christ in the air in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We have been bombarded with information and misinformation in an effort to control the masses and the narrative. We've been introduced to terms in recent years like situational ethics, which implies that your ethics can change from situation to situation depending upon how you feel at the moment. Truth has become subjective. Subjectivism teaches that there are no moral absolutes and no absolute truth, leading to moral relativism, which is rampant today. And morality, therefore, is up to a culture or individual to define, and there is no single moral code for all humankind, is the thinking of today. And yet David wrote in Psalm 2, 1 to 5, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, speaking of the Mashiach or the Messiah of Israel, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven shall what? Shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. People are saying today, listen, we don't want the restrictions of Christianity or the word of God having any role or part in our lives. We'll make up our own moral code. We'll determine what gender is. We'll believe, we'll come to believe whatever a marriage should be in our day and age. We're the ones who will define what human sexuality can be expressed as. They're saying we want to cast away the cords of the Messiah and the king who sits on the throne. And the Lord says through David, he who sits in the heaven shall laugh. Now, I know for some of you who are older like me, 35 plus, <laughs> we see things a lot, a lot of things change. I, you know, way back when I was a young man in my teen years, and any of you who were uh, around in the hippie movement, you know that things used to be groovy. And then they got cool. Then they turned hot. Then they were dope. I can't even keep up with everything and what the expressions are. But we also know that what used to be the pound sign and the number sign has now become the hashtag sign. It's that sign like you used to see uh, on your telephone uh, back in the day. I don't know if it's still on there or not. But a hashtag is simply something that identifies with a singular statement that you want to relate to by your own expression on Twitter or Facebook or any other social media platform. Now, hashtags trend. In other words, there are those that are more popular for different seasons and moments in history. And one of the, this, I just found this out yesterday. Do you know what one of the leading hashtags on Twitter is today? One of the most often treated statements with the hashtag and these words that follows is this, attack and dethrone God. That is one of the leading hashtags today. It is a trending hashtag, attack and dethrone God. Well, I've got news for them. It ain't going to work. They can attack God all they want, but they'll never dethrone him. He is the king of kings and lord of lords, and there is no other. And God laughs at their proposed efforts, and yet he desires to save them. And this is what we are experiencing today. People want to break the bonds of a universal moral code and do whatever they feel like doing. The Bible says that's the life of a fool. And the Lord will mock and laugh at those who devise such plots against him and his anointed son. And listen, in contrast, those who trust the Lord and believe God is right about everything will wisely slip through this season and be blessed to the Lord. And I believe be taken to be with him forever very soon as the Lord then distresses the globalists and progressives in his deep displeasure along with any other who have made a final decision to reject God's offer 
of salvation. Now, we define the trust factor. Let's look at the benefit of employing it. Listen, this is a bit long. We've said it in a dozen different ways, but we packaged it like this for this morning. Listen, trusting God. Say trusting God. Trusting God does not avert all of life's pains and problems, but it will always get you through them. Trusting God does not avert all of life's pains and problems, but it will always get you through them. And listen, if there is one thing that the world is proving today, it's verse 25. He who has of a, of a proud heart stirs up strife. Now, how foolish it is to reject God's offer of salvation through Jesus. How foolish it is to deny that God exists when the heavens declare his glory and the firmament to the foundations of the earth show his handiwork. How foolish it is to live without any standard of morality or a single definition of morality for all. It's the single reason we are where we are today. And yet David said in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but he delights, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will be fat, shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall what? Perish. Listen, we live in a season of perpetual strife caused by people with proud hearts living in defiance of the true and living God. And trusting in Him allows us to slip through all this even as we go through it and know that someday we're going to be delivered ultimately from it. And listen this morning, there's a division and discord going on in the church today that is only going to deepen because of all that's happened of late. We saw a division coming into the church uh, because some were saying we need to open up, others were saying that's foolishness and inconsiderate of the health of the people around you. And now we've got those who are siding with this movement that's going on and those who are saying, you know, we need to be uh, about the Father's business and maintain our course. And listen, there is a movement that has been going on in the church that's only going to grow in these last days, and it's called the social justice movement. The fact is we are commissioned by God to preach the world, preach the gospel to the whole world, not solve the world's social problems. Listen, Jesus lived in a time where there were 40 million slaves and he not once ever addressed the issue of slavery. And the fact that the Bible talks about the slave-master relationship isn't an endorsement of slavery, it's an endorsement of Christian behavior. If you're living within a society where slaves are present, he says, masters, the Holy Spirit says, masters, treat those who work for you with respect and dignity. And the fact that the Bible mentions it doesn't mean that the Bible endorses it. And we need to recognize we're not here to solve the world's social problems. We're here to take people to heaven with us through the preaching of the gospel. And the Bible says this place is not going to turn around. And therefore, we need to be very careful about those who are pointing an accusatory finger at the church for trying to stay on course and not getting driven off the course by the social justice movement. Listen, there's not going to be any social justice until we all get to heaven and everybody there is perfect and made like Jesus. But until then, we need to love our neighbor. Until then, we need to be kindly affectionate toward one another. Until then, we need to esteem others better than ourselves. Until then, we need to show the love of God for one another be good to those who hate us, love our enemies, pray for those who spitefully use us. This is Christian behavior, not solving the world's social problems. Amen. Titus tells us in 3, 3 to 7, for we ourselves were also once foolish. Thank you for that. I had the same delayed reaction in first and second service. 
We were once foolish, right? Why were we foolish? Because we did what our feelings and will and intellect was leading us to do. Disobedient. Anybody disobedient before you got saved? Anybody disobedient after you got saved? Come on, get those hands up. We've been disobedient on both sides of our salvation. No question about that. But mercy shall surround us. We were deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is our BC description. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, solving all the social problems of the world, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, how? Through whom? Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a phrase. Heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Why choose a life of perpetual strife instead of that? And listen, the trust factor changes everything. We can be fat, smooth, and slippery. Or we can live like a pride-filled fool, constantly stirring up strife. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it sounds like a pretty easy decision. Now, Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said where? In his feelings and his mind and intellect. Feelings, uh, emotions, and intellect. There is no God. Actually, the Hebrew says, no God. The fool that is said in his heart, no, God. The end result is they are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There is none who does good. There is no fool who does good. There is no person who says no God who does good. And there are people in places of power today who have said no, God. And they are corrupt. And they are doing abominable works. And none of them are good. But God is in the business of taking rotten people and making them good. He's in the business of changing human hearts. And listen this morning. We need to pray for those in places of power. We need to pray for their salvation. Because the governor, or the government rather, the governor, prime minister, president, congress people, senate people, they are not the answer. God is the answer. And he can turn things around. And Proverbs 24, 21, and 22 says, My son Solomon writing, Fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin those two can bring. Listen, back to where we started. No decent human being sees what happened to George Floyd and tries to justify it. But the problem was the people, not the system. The system says that we live under all men are created equal. All people have the right to expect fair treatment under the law. And until our leaders understand that the heart of the problem is the matter of the heart, nothing is going to change in our country. They will continue to stir up strife. They will make foolish decisions like keeping liquor stores and pot dispensaries open while closing churches. And listen, church is the one place that people can find hope. The other places destroy hope. Alcohol has never bettered one single person's life, and it's destroyed millions. The places they should have closed, they left open. The ones that should have stayed open, they closed. Which reminds us of Proverbs 29.2, 29, that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice but when a wicked man rules, the people what? Groan. The system that was instituted by our founding fathers was based on Judeo-Christian values. Our laws are based upon the principles presented in the word of God and through a Christian worldview. And it's been infiltrated, listen close, our system has been infiltrated by pride-filled fools who sit on both sides of the political aisle. And our nation is groaning because of it. 
We need to employ the trust factor and not be guided by feelings now more than ever. We need to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding because it's the only thing that not only is going to get us through, it's the only thing that is going to change our country and bring about the healing of our land. We're in the last days, there's no question about it. The Bible said those times would be perilous, and they are. But we are never without hope as long as there is a God who sits on the throne, a Savior who died for their sins, and a Holy Spirit who is willing to change the human heart and therefore the direction of a life and even a country. Listen, I see it all over social media of late. Maybe this is why the United States of America is not present in biblical prophecy. Maybe this is why the greatest country in the history of the world, the most generous country in the history of the world, is not present in Bible prophecy because what's happening right now is going to destroy America. Now, you can believe that if you want. I'm going with this. God is so powerful and the church can break forth so mightily that there is a revival in the church of this country and a great awakening amongst those who are perishing. And there are so many people who get saved through all this that the rapture cleans out this country and that's why we're not present in Bible prophecy. I'm going to go with that. And it's all based on the trust factor. Believing that God is exactly who the Bible presents him to be and the word of God is exactly what it claims to be. Living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing down right to the heart of the matter. The joint and marrow is what it says. Cutting down to the heart of the issue. Changing the human heart and therefore the human life. And if multitudes change, the country will change. And hideous things like racism will be done away with in this country forever. But listen, it cannot be legislated. It can only be through the liberation of the human heart from the grip of the devil. And only God can do that. And he is in that business yet today. Amen? So, Father, we are grateful once again for your matchless word. We are thankful that you are still seated in majesty on high. And all attempts to dethrone you throughout the ages have been unsuccessful. Lord, we thank you that there's never even been a close call. And Lord, we bless you today in the midst of all the darkness we see around us. That you told us it was coming. And yet you are still snatching some from the fire. Rescuing those drawn towards death, as Proverbs 24 says. So Lord, I pray that you would use each of us to do that and we would remember that our cause is not changing the world our cause is saving souls and Lord the more saved souls there are the more the world will change and I pray that we not get the proverbial cart before the horse but remember our commission is preaching commission is not social justice but Lord help us in these ever darkening days help us in these moments where there's so much information being presented to us at breakneck speed and things can get so confusing and yet if we stick to the foundations of your word there will always be clarity we thank you for our time together today we thank you for these two magnificent verses thank you for telling us how to avoid living the life of a fool and bearing the consequences thereof help us lord to live that fat smooth and slippery life that you have mentioned to us today. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. Listen, it's an interesting time to be sure. And any country ought to be able to count on the church to be the best of its citizenry. And there comes a time in history where things move beyond the point that can be deemed allowable by the church. And God has given us a mandate in Hebrews 10, 25 that we mentioned at the outset that we are not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together with other believers as is the custom of some. And then the Bible adds this, even the more as you see the day approaching. So in other words, the closer we get to the end, the more we're going to need to be together, the more we're going to need each other. And isn't it interesting that as we draw closer to the end, the devil's trying to break us up so we can't meet together. So we have come to such a time where we, be, we are being told by the government that we can't do what the Bible has told us to do. So it's time for us to stand up. Now listen, we're going to be careful about one another's health. 
we're going to watch out for each other. Now listen, I see some of you are wearing masks in here, and if that's what makes you feel comfortable, that's awesome. We're glad you're here. Some of you aren't. We're glad you're here too. Some of you didn't want to come in the building. We're glad you're here. But listen, we need to understand that we are in a prophesied time and things are radically changing in our world. And this world, as Ray Steadman said, I've always found it to be such a marvelous statement, needs a little clarity, but Ray Steadman, a pastor during the Jesus movement up in the Bay Area said, Christians are the most important people on earth. You know why? Not because we're all that, but because we have the only message that can save the human soul. Nobody else has it. It's exclusive to you and I as believers. The world needs us. The racists need Jesus. They need their heart changed. Our government officials need Jesus. Our government officials need Jesus. I, I might need to say that four or five times. Some of them need him real bad. Of course, we all do, amen? But the fact is, I'm not going to give up hope. But I'm not going to let go of what the Lord has commanded us to do either. Now, listen, we're going to operate within the safety precautions that we've been directed to operate within. I see some families are sitting together. That's allowable. I see others are social distancing. That's allowable. And we're going to continue to meet. And we're going to continue to preach Christ and Him crucified. And if they say we can't, we're going to do it anyway. Because there comes a time, there comes a time when you ought to obey God rather than them. Now listen, as I said, we've been working our way through this, trying to figure this whole thing out. Trying to be respectful to authorities like the Bible commands us to be been in communication with a team of lawyers at the Pacific Justice Institute and talking with the Santa Ana PD as to how we ought to handle ourselves. And I believe personally, this is my personal opinion, I do not believe until these protests and riots that the line has been crossed. But now they're telling us what their motives actually are, shutting down the church. If people can gather without social distancing, without masks in any particular location, and do so under the protection of the First Amendment, then we can gather too. And let me remind you, like I told Second Service, we're not Catholics, so we're Protestants. <laughs> and we're protesting respectfully, with dignity and honor and glory to the Lord. And we're not going to get moved off course. We have but one commission from God, preaching Jesus to a lost and dying world. And no one's going to stop us from doing that. And the gates of hell will not prevail against this church or any other that takes a stand for the word of God. Amen.